that uh, she said Amanda is, is in labor, so she and Kelby headed to the hospital. So um, so let's pray for them. We'll start out doing that. You do that? And we pray for um, Kelby and Amanda. And we pray for, um, pray for just an uh, uh, easy delivery and, uh, and no complications there. And, and just pray that you, you would be with him. Um, Emma, the new baby, just as they sort of go through these next few days, which are most certainly a, a, a grind. Um, I just pray that you would be with them, God. That you would give them some comfort, uh, some, some ease, and just some energy as they walk through it. Um, so, God, we pray for them, pray for the doctors, pray for all the personnel that are there alongside them. We just pray for some steady hands and, and good wisdom and good care for them. And, and, God, we just lift them up to you. Amen. Amen. We're going to start need to put more volunteers in the back. We need some adults to come with all these babies, too. So, um, <clears throat> Let me tell you what happened a, a few years ago. This was now that I think about it, it was like eight years ago. Uh, my mom, one day I was, uh, I was sitting at work, and she called me. I was around 24 or so, I guess. And she called and said, um, what are you doing for lunch? I'm, I'm coming to eat lunch with you. And I said, well, I mean, are you in New Orleans? She said, no, but I'm leaving Hattiesburg. And um, so she left Hattiesburg. She drove two hours, came and had lunch with me. I had one hour, and we had lunch, and then she drove right back to Hattiesburg and went back to work. And we went to eat at, uh, I mean, for the amount she spent on gas, had she already been here, we could have eaten at, like, Commander's Palace. But, um, but we ended up eating at Rotolo's, and uh, the food was okay, and I was pretty sure my mom was a little nuts. Um, my sister had, you know, my sister was, like, the only one left at home. My little brother had just gone to college, and I, I think she was kind of missing all of her children. And so she was doing her best to, even in, if she had a five-hour window, it made sense to her to drive two hours, have a one-hour lunch, and drive back. And I was pretty sure she was nuts, but then last year, um, I drove, I woke up, I went to work, I drove in half hour to work, and then I worked for an hour, and then I drove a half hour back to do donuts with dads, and I was there for 20 minutes, and then we wound all that up, and I went all the way back another half hour. And, uh, and all I did was drive all the way back for one you know, 30 cent donut or however much they cost. And it lasted a total of 20 minutes. And that's because we really worked hard to stretch it out. And, uh, and, and that was it. But obviously, I didn't do it for the food. And my mom didn't do it for the food. But you, you do that crazy stuff for the person. And you do it for the relationship because the relationship matters to you. Because there are a few things better than seeing a kid you just saw two hours ago and who was really fussy that morning and you weren't terribly sad to let them go to school because they were so upset that morning. Or, and, and then two hours later you see them and they couldn't be, they're so happy to see you. And that's just, that's just exciting stuff. Uh, but you do it because the relationship matters to you. Um, Sometimes, I've been feeling a lot of conviction about this, especially over the course of this week, but sometimes I, I pitch Christianity like, um, like, you know, if you have problems, then Christ has answers. You know, that's, that's really his big thing. You've got big problems, he'll tell you what to do with them. I do believe that to be true, but, uh, but I pitch it like that. Sometimes I say, you know, are your kids astray? Is your marriage on the fritz? You know, like life's, all of life's biggest problems. You know, if those are your problems, then Jesus is the answer. And sometimes I, I say those things, and people do come into the life of the church, and they do put their faith in Jesus, and then they're 
kids continue on whatever road they were on, and then and then their marriage ends sometimes, or they keep having those problems. And I feel like I let people down because I told them that Jesus was going to do something for them, and now they're still having problems. And I, it's just, it's just this thing that it burns inside of me. I feel like I'm making promises that maybe aren't coming true. And why do I do that when I know that that's not good and that's not right? I think I do it because sometimes I feel like the promises of the Bible are just not quite good enough. Like they're not quite appealing enough. And so, so I've got to dress it up a little bit so that, so that it sounds better, so that it's something that you really want to do. And then you go look at what Jesus said, and Jesus says something essentially to the effect of, life sucks and then you die. I mean, not that exactly. He actually says, in this world you will have trouble. Um, but, you know, same thing. He, he doesn't come and say, you should follow me because I'm going to get rid of your troubles. He actually says, if you follow me, you're going to have a little bit more trouble than you used to. At least that much you're guaranteed of. But the real promise of the gospel, the real promise of new life in Jesus, the real promise of salvation is not the absence of problems. The promise of the gospel is the presence of Jesus. The promise of the gospel is that Jesus is the prize that you get. And there's no other prize that gets guaranteed to us. Jesus is the prize. And it's not everything we get from having a relationship with Him, which is really good and really rich stuff. But it's not everything we get from having a relationship with Him. It's Him. The donut was certainly not worth the drive. The pizza was definitely not worth the drive. But the person that, you're, that you have the relationship with, that's worth the drive. And the relationship is what's rich. We said that if we're going to hear God, we've got to do a few things. We covered them over the first few weeks. We said if we're going to hear God, we've got to come with obedience. That means coming to God saying, whatever it is you're going to ask me to do, I'm going to do it. And we start with that posture. And then we said we've got to recognize that, that you're going to hear God speak through the Holy Spirit. And sometimes they're going to give you peace and say, move forward. And sometimes that's going to withhold some peace and say, hang on and wait for some more direction. And then we said God is going to speak to you persistently and personally. And that means he's going to say something uniquely to you. And he's going to say it consistently because he really wants you to hear it. But today we sort of pause in the middle of this whole conversation to, to hear God in, in the middle of that conversation. And, and what we pause in there for is to say, as we're learning to hear Him, and as we're learning to seek Him and try to figure out what the heck He's trying to say to us and what, what His goals are for us and what His path is for us, as we're in the middle of that, we just want to pause and remind ourselves that, that hearing what He wants for us is secondary and getting to know Him is primary. And the relationship is not just about where he's going to tell us to go or what he's going to tell us to do, right? The primary thing is just spending the time with him and just getting to know him. Unless we get stuck in this thing where we're constantly saying, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? And that's the nature of our relationship. We want to pause and remember that that's not a rich relationship and that's not what Jesus called us to when he called us to the gospel. In Philippians chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, I see that Jess has abandoned her post, so I hope you brought your Bible today. Um, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says, get this, so I'm not reading yet, but in Philippians chapter 3, Paul says to be filled with joy. 
And if you do, if you just read the footnotes, if you've got a Bible with footnotes, you're going to know that when Paul is writing, be filled with joy, he's in jail. So he's in jail and he's writing, be filled with joy. I think if I write a letter to you and I'm in jail, it's going gonna, it's gonna to read it tearfully and weeping. Because it's going to sound like, oh my God, I'm in jail. And, and it's not going to be like, be filled with joy. But he says, be filled with joy. And then he goes on, and still not reading yet, but he goes on to say, some people are, are boastful about their faith. And he says, these people that boast about their faith, he says, I was way better than them. They're religious, I was more religious. They're knowledgeable of the law, I knew more. They obey the law, I obey it perfectly. They're good, I'm gooder. Anything that they've got going for them, I'm doing a little bit better. He says this, catch this statement. He says to the people he's writing this letter to, he says, no one could find fault with me and my adherence to religion. That's a bold statement. No one can find fault with me and my adherence to religion. You know, sometimes on, on uh, Wednesdays, um, Wednesday hits, and, and it's been a long, long Wednesday. You know, we have small group on Wednesday. And, and, and around lunch, you know, I'm just I'm dying. It's been a long day. And I remember that we have small group at night. And I love small group. And it's also at my house, you know. And, and sometimes my house is a wreck, and, and a kid has been sick. And then I remember that it's small group night. And every time, I, every time that, that people get there and we get into it, I don't say every time, but almost every time, it's rich and it's good. And I get prayed for, and I pray for somebody, and I really enjoy it. But sometimes at lunch on Wednesday, if you wanted to find fault with me and my adherence to religion, and you could be inside my brain, you could find some fault. Because I'd go, man, I'm not about it today. And it's always good, but you could find some fault. And that's just one little area that I let you in on where you could find some fault. But Paul says, imagine this, nobody could find any fault with me. That's how good I was. And then in verse 7, we'll start reading here. Then in verse 7 he says, At one time, all these things were important to me. But because of Christ... I decided that they are worth nothing. Not only these things, but now I think that all things are worth nothing compared to the greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Christ, I lost all these things, and now I know that they are worthless trash. All I want now is Christ. I want to belong to Him. In Christ, I am right with God. But being right does not come from following the law. It comes from God through faith. God uses my faith in Christ to make me right with Him. All I want is to know Christ and the power that raised Him from the dead. I want to share in His sufferings and be like Him even in His death. Then there is hope that I myself will somehow be raised from death. Before we jump deeper, I want you to think about one statement he says. One statement he says is, All I want is Christ. And I want you to think about yourself. What is your your all I want statement? What is your all I want statement? All I want is a little fishing camp. All I want is a little fishing camp. It's a little spot I can get away to. I'll even take one of those under the interstate. You know, but all I want is just a little fishing camp. All I want is a boat. All I want is a little more money. All I want is for my kids to follow Jesus. All I want is for my kids to be happy. All I want is for my marriage to be filled with joy. All I want is to graduate. All I want is for my boyfriend to ask me to marry him. 
You know, like, what's your all I want? Because consistently we have things where we say, all I want is this. And Paul says, in this letter, he says, all that I want is Jesus. I've had a lot of stuff. And coming full circle, all that I really want is Jesus. Profound statement to me. This, this whole passage is really rich, but I want to pull out just, just two truths that I think are super impactful. And the first one is this, is that suffering is a promise of the gospel. Suffering is a promise of the gospel. That's the part that I think when I want to sell somebody on Christianity and they're sitting in front of me, and if I'm going to stray from what Jesus says and I'm going to put some of my own two bits into it, I want to say, the suffering that you feel now, that much of that's going to go away. That's the good thing about following Jesus is a little less suffering. And then here in this passage, it points us to the reality that suffering is a promise of the gospel. In verse 10 he says, this is what Paul says, I want to share in his sufferings, Jesus' sufferings. I want to share in his sufferings, and I want to be like him even in his death. For 10 cool points, how did Jesus die? He died on a cross. He died on the cross. He did the most painful way. He slowly suffocated. And Paul says, I want to die just like he did. And I want to suffer just like he did. I want to be like him in every way. I want to be one with him every way that I can. You guys ever, when you're a kid, Molly has kind of gotten into this just a little bit, but you guys ever uh, played Opposite Day when you were a kid? You know what the hardest thing about opposite day is to me? It's that you can never really, once it becomes opposite day, you can't tell anyone it's opposite day or it's not opposite day anymore. You get what I'm saying? You know, if I tell you it's opposite day, now it's not opposite day, but I still want to play opposite day, so then I've got to say it's not opposite day. But if it's not opposite day, then it's not opposite day. It doesn't mean it's opposite day. And so it's, it's, it's a confusing game. People just have to catch on. You can never tell them that it's opposite day. And I think sometimes the gospel is a little bit like opposite day. Where everything is just the opposite of of what you might think that it would be like. Paul says, the things I once considered good, I realized were bad. And the things I I once considered bad, namely suffering, you know, like dying a terrible death. The things that I once considered bad, I now realize that those things are good. The language that he uses... These are actually like financial profit and loss kind of statements. Like that's the way when he talks about good and he talks about bad, he's talking about profit and loss. And, and what he says is, what I once considered profit to me was actually loss to me. He goes further. He describes it as, as garbage. And, and garbage in those days meant two things when they would say use this word. It either meant like table scraps, so, so food garbage, or it meant your actual dung, you know, crap. Right, just to be clear, if you didn't know what Don was. Um, that, that's what he's talking about. And he says, the things that I thought were good, they were that kind of garbage. He's like, it's not just that, you know, think about it like this. It's not just that I lost money. It's not I thought I was gaining money, but I lost money. It's more like I took my money and I used it to purchase dung. That's like what I did. What if you owned a business and I thought I was making great money? And every time we made a product, I said, man, when I sell this product, I'm making money. And every product I make and everything I sell, I'm making money and I'm selling them out, so I've got to be making money. And we get to the end of the month and we look at our books and we realize that the cost to, to make this thing is more than the cost that we're selling it for. And there's a lot of byproducts, so we have a lot of waste. 
And so instead of making money, every time we created something, we lost some money, and, and we left ourselves with a big mess we'd have to clean up. Paul says, that was my life before Jesus. I was going in the opposite direction. What I thought was profit was total loss. Church devotion, or church attendance, without devotion to Jesus, sometimes feels like, like good, at least we're going. Total loss. You come to church without devotion to Jesus, it's a loss. Commitment to living better without knowing Jesus, it's a loss. Why is it a loss? Because you won't be able to stick it out. Charity so that I feel better about myself having a lot of stuff. <laughs> Giving stuff away, you know, in, in any, in, with any purpose other than I want to do good for people because much good has been done to me. Total loss. A bigger house at the expense of my tithe, total loss. I like the bigger house. The things that I thought were good, and those things are bad for me. Paul says all of that stuff is loss. So what's gain? He says, so if all the stuff that I thought was good is now bad, then, then what's good? He says the gain is simply knowing Jesus. The greatest gain is knowing Jesus and, and suffering on His behalf. Doing with less so I can give more. Being ostracized because I shared the gospel and someone thought it was really weird. Being out, of, being out of the inner loop because I won't dive into gossip. Going way bigger than the small suffering that we see. How about moving far from home and missing family, but, but, but doing it because the sake of the gospel is greater than my comfort. How about bigger again, living in fear of being jailed like people all around the world are because I dared to share my faith with someone. It seems bad to have to go to jail. But he says, this is the kind of thing that is gain. Because I've done something great for the purpose of the gospel. We will be stuck in our faith, unsatisfied with its outcomes, finding church largely dispensable and disposable if we continue to pursue loss over the great gain of knowing Jesus more. And if you come consistently and it feels pretty disposable, or you feel like not much has changed as a result of my faith, it's often because we're seeking loss over gain. And we're seeking everything except for getting to know Jesus more. And sometimes we're seeking the really good thing of wanting to know what Jesus wants us to do. And he says, if I'm asking Jesus what he wants me to do, but I'm not getting to know him, loss. And I've not gained anything. I've had a, um, I've had a few best friends over, over the course of my life. I actually wrote them down today. I thought, let me, let me see if I can list through these people. I've had a few best friends, and, and I never keep one for very long, not just because I'm a terrible person and not friendly, but, you know, just this or that, you know, people move or... You know, you grow up, all those different kind of things. But I've had a few best friends, and, um, and it's tough for me to lose one because I'm not great at making new ones. It's a long process for me. I don't know why. Somebody could probably shrink me and you know, tell me why I struggle with that kind of thing. But to really make a really good friend is, is sometimes a, a long process for me. And uh, I remember my first best friend... He, uh, when we were kids, we used to do all kind of just really dumb stuff, you know, like kids do with their best friend. 
I remember there was a big hill, there was a big lake near where we lived, and there was the backside of it, you know, we just call it a dam there, here we'll call it a levee, you know, call it what you want, but um, but it was huge, the backside was like 30 feet down, and at the bottom of this was a bunch of trees and a, and a road, a little road, and I mean, it was in the country, so not a whole lot of cars going by, but, but we would take turns rolling down this hill. And and you were the, the you were the most manly of manly if you kept your eyes closed until you stopped rolling. <laughs> and how dumb was that? I mean, we would hit trees, cars would swerve, and uh, and but we were determined to prove to one another, no one else in the world, no one around us, but we were determined to prove to one another that we were the most manly. And we rolled down this hill all the time. Here's what I don't remember doing. I remember doing all kind of dumb stuff. But here's what I don't remember my friend ever doing to me. I don't remember him ever giving me advice. Ever. I mean, we were kids, but he never came to me and said, Adam, you know, I know you like this girl, but I think you two are incompatible and it's going to really cause you some problems. <laughs> he never said anything like that to me. I don't remember him ever giving me any advice. I don't remember him ever giving me money. Ever. I don't remember him getting me a birthday gift. I mean, maybe his parents got me a gift, I'm, I'm sure, at some point. But I don't remember any of those kind of things. I don't remember anything that he gave me. But what I really remember is his friendship. And I can't even pinpoint what it is about it, but I just know that he was a great friend, a great friend to me. The second and the last big thing that, that you should see in this passage is that the promise of God is not his advice or his direction or his clarity or his guidance or his comfort. And mind you, I'm naming all things that God says he is to us. It's not his encouragement. It's none of that. The promise of the gospel is a forever friendship with God. A forever friendship with God is the promise of the gospel. And the more you dig into it, the more you see that Jesus has positioned himself as the great prize we get for following him. And why would he do that? Because he's really happy with who he is? No, it's it's because he knows that that's the best thing. He gives us the best prize, and the prize is relationship with him. And here's a reality that's, that's tough for me sometimes, but... If challenges and struggles and the pressure of life pull us away from his presence, that's an immediate sign that our priorities are a little bit out of order. That we've come to him for the stuff he gives us and not for him himself. Um, I I knew a guy when I first moved here, and he was telling me uh, uh, just a little bit about his story. And he said um, about a year before I, I had moved here, his wife had died. And, um, and three years before that, she had gotten diagnosed with, uh, with an illness. And, and they knew from the nature of this illness that she may live six months and she may live three years, and they weren't really sure. And, um, and so he wasn't certain if he could retire. They didn't know if they had enough money, but, um, but he retired. He just retired. He said, if I have to go back to work later, I will. But, um, but he retired because he was determined that, that in, these, in these last three months, six months, one year, two years, three years, whatever they got, that he was going to spend it in this relationship and doing everything he could with no end in mind. I mean, the end has already been determined, and it's not the one that they wanted. But with no particular goal in mind, but to have the best relationship that he could have for the next three months, six months, a year, three years. When we care about the relationship, hard times pull us close. 
And when the relationship is important to us, and when our relationship with Jesus is important to us, hard times make us run to Him, not run away from Him. That's the idea. They asked this question in the book. I thought it was really good. If you're following along in there. But they say, what is your current desire to hear God's voice revolve mostly around? What is your current desire to hear God's voice revolve mostly around? Why do you mostly want to hear his voice? Is it because you have a desire to know what he wants you to do? Is it because you desire to know where he wants you to go? Is it because your desire to get what you want Sorry, I said that all wrong. Is, is it because your desire to get what you want in life from Him? So do you want to hear Him because, because you really want to get from Him what you want? Or is it because you just have a desire to know Him? You want to hear Him because it feels good to hear the voice of someone you love. I, I mentioned it at the beginning, but I spent a lot of time trying trying. I'm trying to tell you how great it is to follow Jesus, and I try to sell you on all the very real extras, the, the great things that Jesus done, that does for us, but I know that in my inner being, I know that Jesus is enough. Like, I know it. But sometimes I don't, I don't, know, I don't know how to tell you that. And I, but, but I know that I can boldly say to you that no matter what happens in my life, no matter how terrible, I'm okay because I have Jesus. And I know that. I know it definitively. I know that should he take everything away, I'm okay. Should he take my own life, I'm okay because I know how it ends. Like everything is okay for me. I know that truth. I read Job and it's like a similar truth. Everything gets taken from him and he says, God, this is no good. But I'm okay because I know that you are with me. And sometimes that truth is hard for me to articulate. It's hard for me to just try to get you to grasp the joy that comes in knowing Jesus. And so wrongly, I try to sell you, I try to sell anybody on something that's far less rich than this relationship with God. So I want to end that today. I want to end that in my own life. I want to end that in the life of the church. And so I want to finish just by inviting you very simply, into a relationship with Jesus because He is a prize like no other. Because I can't offer you anything that would be better than that. Because relationship with Him is fulfilling and rich and it surpasses all other joy you could ever have. And so if you're a believer, I just ask that you join me in, in pursuing Him with no particular end in mind. Not saying I'm going to come to him because I want to know the answer to this. I'm going to come to him because I want this to change. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to come to him and I'm going to spend time in prayer and I'm going to spend some real New Testament style fellowship with the church and I'm going to spend some time in the Bible not because I want this or that in but just because I want to know Jesus. And I want to invite you to commit yourself to the discipline of spending time with him just for the sake of getting to know it. And if you haven't given your life to Jesus, he says very simply, he says, ask forgiveness of your sin, recognize that he is the one true God, and tell him that you want to follow him, that you want to be saved. And he says, it's just, it's just that simple. It's just a, a cry of your heart that is those things. 
And when you do that, you begin to live in the richness of having a relationship with the living God, both now and forever. Let's pray. I pray, God, as over the course of this week, you've just incredibly broken my heart about what I'm about trying to just pull everything out of my relationship with you without ever saying, God, I just want to enjoy you. And I just want to enjoy my relationship with you. And so, God, I pray that collectively that we would say to you, God, I'm grateful for the relationship that I have with you, and I just want to dig deeper into that. I just want to get to know you because knowing you is worth it. And God, I pray for people here. God, I pray for people everywhere that don't know you. Know you in the way that don't have a relationship with you that comes through faith. And I pray that I wouldn't try to sell them on anything else, but I would, but I would say to them, and someone would say to them, and someone with a relationship with them would say to them, I pray that you would follow Jesus because there's just nothing better. And maybe I can't describe it to you in a way that you can get it, but it's so rich and it's so good. And nothing in life is better than having a relationship with you. And I pray that because of that, that people would ask for forgiveness, seek you for salvation. Amen. Let's stand as we sing about our wonderful, merciful Savior.